0: Go to quince.com/slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: When somebody sneezes and then we say bless you, our answer is, well, I hope you don't die. Um, bitch,
2: <laughs> so I hope you don't die.
1: I certainly hope so too.
2: <laughs> what three wrestling matches would you watch while stranded on a desert island? This is what I am asking independent wrestling star, Russian dynamite, Masha Slamovich. My name is Tom Campbell, and this is Desert Island Graps.
1: Приветствуйте! Русский динамит! Masha Slamovich. Get ready to get blown the fuck up!
2: Masha Slamovich, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing lovely. How are you?
2: I am brilliant, thank you. We're talking uh, just still hours removed from an amazing weekend for the National Wrestling Alliance and a history-making Saturday night at Empower that you were a part of. H- how was that whole How was that whole history-making malarkey for you then, Masha?
1: Oh, it was absolutely, you know, a historic night. To say that it was undescribable and unforgettable you know it's I don't have enough words to describe what the history and wrestling in that building and wrestling on that show you know it was one of the greatest nights of my career so there's that
2: can you remember how you got involved
1: with the NWA
2: with that particular show, is there, can you remember the phone call you got? Or the, the...
1: Yes. So I uh, I was in Texas on one of my infamous Texas loops for a couple of days. And I believe I was in Dallas. I was actually at VIP wrestling in the locker room talking to one of my friends. And, you know, I just was scrolling on my phone and I saw the message from Mickey James that she was uh, interested in bringing me to empower and she wanted to call me so that was a very exciting thing to learn right as right before I went out to the match that I was having that evening and um the next day we had a phone call while I was um I was at another wrestling show and we spoke and you know uh it was really really awesome I was kind of um taken aback by being called I wasn't expecting it at all I I didn't uh comment on the original post when she had made the announcement and for them to reach out to me meant a lot to me
2: just to to, to be in that room Was there somebody that um, you got to to chat with even briefly that that really made your weekend
1: for sure the the people who i got to meet who i've not met before and it was a really awesome experience speaking with them would definitely be awesome kong and medusa
2: Awesome Kong is a force of nature. It was a what a great way to go out uh, on that particular weekend as well. It was really special.
1: It was it was really special indeed to witness that and to, you know, share a locker room with her and be able to talk and Medusa as well. We spoke about her friend and my coach uh, Chigusa Nagayo and we spoke about, you know, both of our respective times in Japan. It was really cool talking to her.
2: And we're going to talk to you about some of those times as well. But in the process of doing so, we're going to get you set up for a trip to a metaphorical desert island. I think we're kind of already there, Masha, because I can, can I hear birds in the background at your place.
1: Yes, I have some parakeets who are being very loud. In the oh, no,
2: they're absolutely fine. I encourage them to be nice and loud. How, how old are your parakeets?
1: Uh, probably around six or seven.
2: How long have you had? So you, how long have you had them?
1: Just about that long. I got them, well, you know, as soon as uh, they matured enough to be transferred away from their mother bird. So probably around six to seven years.
2: Have you always been a parakeet person?
1: I've always been a bird person. I've always wanted bigger birds. Um, I've had these parakeets and before I had two more sets of parakeets, but I think, uh, you know, eventually unfortunately this these birds will go on and i will upgrade it to a bigger bird (laughs) i will i will be like coco beware with the giant parrot on my shoulder oh
2: that would be a look i'm 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 hopeful that maybe for the next in power you have both parakeets on your shoulder i think that's i would love that
1: unfortunately they're horribly behaved so (laughs) (laughs) who's
2: the naughtiest of both parakeets oh
1: they both egg each other on to be (laughs) the (laughs) worst.
2: Okay. Well, a parakeet aside, we're going to talk some wrestling. We're going to put you on a desert Island with a DVD featuring three wrestling matches. That means something to you that you can watch whilst you are there. What would you like your first match to be Masha?
1: Well, for my first match, I'm going to pick one of my favorites. Uh, I, the first time I watched it, it absolutely blew me away. It was, um kenta kobashi versus misawa mitsuharu um i believe it was june 3rd of 1999
2: now these two for those who are uneducated just have the most incredible aggressive chemistry don't they
1: oh the chemistry was completely off the charts you know it started off wrestling and it just kept going up and then having dips and i mean you know by the end of it it was it was completely insane the things that they did in that match i mean when i believe it was kobashi who soup no it was misawa who gave a tiger suplex off of the ramp to the floor to kobashi i mean that's just insane
2: what is is would you say this above all the other co- matches that these two have had stands out on, a, on an aggression level, or is there a little something different to it that makes it stand out for you?
1: Uh, it's the aggression, it's the story of it too. You know, it, it really gets the fans into it. So when you, when you watch it, you just get really into it. You get invested and you know, pretty, you're ready to come out of your seat by the end of it.
2: Um, where were you when you watched it for the first time?
1: Home, wherever home was at the time.
2: So would you have been surrounded by other wrestling fans when you watched it? Or would it be? Were no, you... I would have
1: probably watched it by myself during study time. Uh, I have, however, shared that match with other people when they said that they haven't seen either um, Kobashi's or Misawa's work. I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to sit down and watch this and you're about to find out.
2: <laughs> it's amazing how there is a, a, a generation of people who still wouldn't know the work of those two and and it's and it's it makes me sad that as we go further and further away like less people are are remembering it but thankfully you're there with with your dvd going watch this or or or, or you'll be in trouble from them with with those so you say like home wherever home was at that point uh did you move around a lot when you were younger
1: uh no well not moving around, I guess, just going between Moscow and New York City all the time. So I wouldn't really consider it moving. I guess it's just being from two different countries and just going from two different homes. I don't know.
2: What was uh, what was life like growing up partly in Moscow?
1: I was. I always liked going to Moscow because all of my family was there. You know, in America, was always just me, my mother, and my father. And in Russia, I had my grandparents, my nieces, you know, everybody else. So it was always like a giant family reunion because I'd go over there and then we'd end up going to somebody's house and then going to somebody's like farmhouse. And it was great. And I would actually get to be around people my own age. So we'd always end up wrestling each other, me and my cousins.
2: So your cousins were into the wrestling as well, were they?
1: Yeah. um, One of my cousins, his name is Nikita. He he and myself definitely liked wrestling. And we used to we used to also uh, listen to a whole bunch of Grandmaster Flash <laughs> because we were the cool kids. That is cool. um, But clearly um, he went on to be a normal person. Then I went on <laughs> to be a wrestler. <laughs> was there
2: a point, though, where maybe you and Nikita are both going to try and get into wrestling? Uh, I,
1: he was. Um, tempted to do so But the rest of the family Like his mother and father Were having none of it um, And I coerced mine into Allowing me to wrestle
2: <laughs> What um, If you don't mind me asking What brought your 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 mom and dad to New York
1: So If I remember correctly They came over here With My father's best friend um, For a trip And they just didn't want to Go home, so they will applied for what do you call it? Um, no, I forgot how to say it in English. Like when they are asylum, there we go. They applied asylum. for asylum, and that's how they got here.
2: And obviously, you go back and forth now, so you get to see your your family back in Moscow, and you get to spend you know you, you spend a majority of time now in New York. Would you ever move back to Russia uh, on, a, on a more full time basis?
1: I've thought about it. Um, I don't think it would be a wise choice in the middle of a wrestling career. No, you know, perhaps later down the line. But I mean, who who's to tell, right?
2: You never know where it's going to take you. You really don't.
1: There is um, there is a wrestling scene. There's
2: like a wrestling scene that's that's still burgeoning over there. And it's it's what's great to see in that is that like I come from a generation of of where there were Russian wrestlers who predominantly weren't Russian. Um, yeah. So like with yourself, like how how did you find that when there were so many wrestlers who were historically sort of claiming Russia as their own, but they were from different parts of America or, or Croatia or places like that? Did, did that? did that burst any bubbles for you or was that just something that didn't really resonate with you?
1: Yeah, like when I found out that all of those rust- wrestlers weren't actually Russian, I was kind of disappointed uh, because it, you know it wasn't real, but then I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to be the one to actually be Russian and represent my country in wrestling. So that kind of was a bit of an inspiration part to it.
2: What was the moment where you decided then that you you much you loved watching wrestling, but you wanted to pursue it as and become like the wrestler in Russia?
1: I. I mean, all of the detailed thinking of like, I'm going to be the wrestler in Russia and stuff that didn't really um, immediately come. But I remember the moment I saw wrestling, like five minutes later, I knew that that was what I was going to do when I grew up. Um, I just remember, you know, being like a, such a young kid, like three or four and other kids are like, oh, I'm going to be a firefighter or like a doctor. But I couldn't relate to any of that. You know, I already thought at that age, well, how do you know that that's what you want to do? Like, well, you only know that because that's the only things that were like told to children. I knew that there were other options. I just didn't know what they were. Um, and then I always loved martial arts and I wanted to be a martial artist. And then when I saw wrestling, I was like, yeah, that's my fighting style. I was like, it just told like it called me. And ever since the moment I saw it, I knew that that's what I was going to do in my life.
2: What drew you into Uh, martial arts away from wrestling for a second what 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 was your pull into martial arts
1: so i remember my mother had purchased some like bootleg bruce lee dvd for me when i was a really young kid you know around the same age um and i watched it and i was like dude this is so cool you know i want to i want to like be a black belt or like be a samurai and then i realized that those weren't feasible things how i could make a living um but then I saw pro wrestling very shortly after that. And I was like, yeah, this, this is my thing.
2: Who were some of the wrestlers when you, when you started watching it, then as you're, as you're making designs, I'm going, that's what I want to do for a living. Who were some of the wrestlers that you, you looked up to and you aspired to?
1: Well, specifically, you know, thinking back the, the people who stood out to me were people like Chris Benoit and Finley, Um, because of, that strong, aggressive style that I liked—I liked the aggression and the violence—and uh, I also did like Rey Mysterio too because I thought I was going to be a high flyer. I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to be a luchador when I wrestle," and clearly, that was not the case. Because
2: <laughs> what's been what's what I've loved to hear from you is that because, as we've already said, you have those America those wrestlers from America who portray Russians, whereas you've gone, "I don't want to be." a Russian wrestler portraying a Russian. You've said in previous interviews that that can become a crutch. So you kind of want to find your own way with it. Um, have as, as you were sort of getting an, into the industry, did you have conversations with promoters that wanted to, to put that on you? That gimmick, that style, that sort of look?
1: I've never really had promoters want to do that. Um, or, you know, aggressively push for me to be like the evil Russian um yeah so that was never really a conversation that i had they just kind of accepted me for whoever i portrayed myself to be at the time
2: it's what i love as well is as i was looking into this like the the name russian dynamite as you know he's from our neck of the woods he's just from across the pennines here russian dynamite a, a tom billington reference it's a
1: dynamite kid
2: reference
1: it is indeed some love was there some love for the british bulldogs from Masha Islamovich? Oh, absolutely. You know, right, right over here past the, my computer, I have like a, uh, like a case displaying all of my wrestling stuff. And I have a signed like DVD of a dynamite kid and I have a little British bulldog figure over there. I totally loved the the British bulldogs and dynamite kids wrestling style, especially the work that he did in Japan, for example, with tiger mask. Um, you know, their match in Madison square garden is absolutely legendary. So the dynamite kid played a very big part in my style and my wrestling and you know the Masha Slamovich that you see today.
2: Well that it, it, again it explains the love for for your Chris Benoit as well because Chris Benoit was somebody that also looked up to uh, to Tom Billington as well and you can see it and you can feel it in that style as well when you see them going. Um and, and traditionally you you made your debut in Japan. So how did it how did you go from growing up partly in moscow partly in new york to to beginning your career in japan how did how did you get from a to b to c
1: so i was originally trained by johnny rods in brooklyn new york and at the time that i was there in the beginning he had a um a partnership with cmll in mexico and Reina, uh women's wrestling in japan and by the time that i was legal to wrestle in New York state, which is the age of 18. I was just under that. I was still 17. Um, We kind of had a fake ID made and I ended up having an exhibition match just to like show what I could do. And they were like, yeah, we're going to take you to Japan. And I graduated high school, turned 18 and two weeks later I was debuting in Tokyo
2: that's the, the, the speed of that is incredible, but with this, the fake ID thing, right? So was that just in case somebody tapped on the door of the, the wrestling show and went, can I just make sure everybody's the right age? Was it questioned at any point, the fake ID? Um, Cause that was, I, that, you get a sweat on dealing with that as well as wrestling.
1: So yeah. So we had the commissioner coming by and making sure that like everyone was like of age and whatever. The, I don't even remember what the rules were, but the commissioner was there to make sure that everything was going well. And I do remember them specifically being like, she looks a little young and they're like, can we see your ID? And then I think it said that I was like 23. I was like 17. That that was completely unbelievable, but whatever they ran with it. So we're just going to forget that that ever happened.
2: It said McLoving on the, on the, on the ID card.
1: The the ID said that I was like Brazilian or something. (laughs) I, I wish that I could find it. It's like in one of my, shelves over there
2: it's a a picture of tom billington with a blonde wig on (laughs) how they got past i don't know but with um with johnny rods training you then in brooklyn before we jumped to japan so was when you when you you know you knew very early on this is what i want to do i want to be a wrestler this is where i'm going did did you learn anything from those first couple of sessions with johnny rods that surprised you about wrestling maybe something that caught you off guard with it
1: I wouldn't say, um, there was anything that I wasn't expecting. I guess, um, I got really stressed out when they started teaching me holds and I realized I had to remember things because I've always had the world's worst memory. And they're like, well, you got to remember it, they taught me three holds on my first day. And I was like, shit, how am I ever going to remember any of this? Because I was like, well, there's like 5 million more holds. How am I going to, you know, hold on to this information? But you know, repetition, repetition, repetition. That's the thing that
2: I think a lot of people forget when it comes to getting into wrestling is that one of the key components is a really good bloody memory for, for knowing where and when you're going. Do you think your memory has improved because
1: of wrestling? <laughs> if anything, or not it's got worse. <laughs> uh, I don't think wrestling has improved my brain in any sense. But, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, I don't know. I was, I am able to retain... Enough to get through my matches, so
2: that's all that matters.
1: That's all that matters.
2: <laughs> so to to go so soon into Tokyo to start training, like was that a culture shock to to do your bit the bit of training with Johnny Rhodes to Johnny Rhodes, and then to be in Japan, which is a very different, very very disciplined system, was that a culture shock to you, or were you just were you ready for it?
1: Uh, I I believe I was I was ready for it because. I always held myself to a very high standard of self-discipline. And I've had high expectations of myself. You know, from day one of getting into a ring at Johnny Rods, I had the utmost respect to pro wrestling. And I believed that I had to be the best, not only for myself, but if I wasn't the best, I would be doing a disservice to the business. So I made it a point to just be very professional and strict with myself and be serious with my studies. And that carried over to Japan, you know, when we started training at the zero one dojo, it was just the same as I was um, training at Johnny rods, except clearly, you know, we were learning different things, doing things in a different way. Um, But being in Tokyo um, and in Japan, it wasn't really a shock probably because I was also, you know, living in New York city training at Johnny rods, you know, big city, figure it out pretty much so just because i couldn't read japanese i'm like oh i'm still gonna figure it out and i would just go out there and explore
2: what was some, what were some of the favorite parts of of your time in tokyo away from the wrestling side of it and just sort of exploring uh ex- exploring the city exploring the culture what were some of your favorite takeaways from your time there masha uh
1: so you know that this is we're talking about my first tour over there yeah so I, we did a lot of cool things. I remember Reina, they had a trip that we went as a company. We went out to Disney. It was really fun. Uh, me and one of my friends went out to some water park somewhere far, far in Chiba, like right on the ocean side. So we were on the beach and in the water park at the same time. It was really, it was really cool. We got to see the Tigers play at the Tokyo Dome, like my very first day in Tokyo. So I went immediately to the Tokyo Dome and it was Probably one of the coolest experiences of my life, um, and then I could just talk for an hour about the food. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, if, if you're if you're ordering something from uh, f- from your favorite restaurant in Tokyo, what are you ordering?
1: Well, if I'm at my favorite restaurant, I'm at Mr. Danger's Steakhouse. I'm having that steak. That's what's going on. <laughs>
2: nice, nice, nice. I like that. There's a lot of people. I think you. I have heard people mention that particular place before. I think it's quite synonymous. Um, with, with the wrestling fraternity especially um, so was this this was all your first tour of Japan when you went when you went back like do you feel like each time you've been back you've you you're learning a little bit more every time still
1: a hundred percent you know when I when I came to Marvelous and we had the first show at the Shinkiba First Ring uh, it felt like I had come home because that was where I started my career. So it felt like I would returned to where I started, and it was a really awesome full circle moment. Um, and, of course, you know, living in the dojo for a year and training with people like Chigusa Nagayo and Takumi Yiroha, and they would bring in guests to teach us, like, Ultimo Dragon, you know, and other people. So it was completely you know, life-changing. If you look at my matches before, Marvelous, and after, it's just two completely different people. I learned so much and changed so much over there.
2: Who was one of your favorite people that you met during your first couple of tours of Japan?
1: Well, I'll say my first tour, I was lucky enough. Um, my second match ever was a singles match against Mima Shimoda. So that was... Quite the experience, let me tell you, Um, it was it was an experience. It was really wild, but I'm very, you know, very grateful for it. And on my second tour, I got to meet with and wrestle for Akira Hokuto and her promotion, Assemble uh, Women's Wrestling, which was also one of the coolest experiences of my career.
2: What was uh, what was your interaction like with Hokuto? Like, is that, was there any advice parted? Did you share a laugh? What did you guys talk about when you got a chance to?
1: She immediately asked me who I was trained with after she saw me doing things in the ring. She, she seemed impressed and she, she went on to, you know, teach me and give me pointers on like, fix this, do this, you know, lots of advice. And she was, you know, we shared laughs and she's, she's a really sweet, um, she's a really sweet person, but she'll also still turn around and snap your neck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> those was the people that you want on side. That yes. is the, exactly <laughs> the people you want on side. We're, we're finding out this week that, that something pretty revolutionary is going on uh, on the scene in Japan, because it's been announced that stardom will be represented at new Japan's Wrestle Grand Slam. Uh, this has been a long time coming, hasn't it? For somebody has been over there and, and, and working through the system, this, this particular movement has been a while coming, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it's gonna be. Um, I think it's gonna be really a big deal. First of all, like you said, um, and I think it's gonna be really cool. I can't wait to see what happens. Really is. So Let's get to your second
2: match then. So we've we've had so staying on the Japan slant. We've had uh, Kabashi Masawa from Ninety Nine. What would you like your second match to be, Masha? <sighs> well, I'm like the
1: the match. I had originally picked to be seconds and now I'm changing it on the fly. Uh, it was originally going to be the, or maybe we could just do four matches. Right. I mean, Oh,
2: sorry. Hello? I just, Sorry. My, 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 camera disappeared there. Sorry about that. I should be back with you now.
1: Oh, it's
2: all right. right. So, so you're, are you changing your yes, match we're then? Good now?
1: All right. Um, uh... So I'm like, man, we should talk about Tiger, Tiger Mask and Dynamite you Kid. Know? <laughs> I'm like, we brought it up. Like, man, it's such a good match. People who don't even like wrestling like that stuff. My mom doesn't really care for wrestling. She thought it was the greatest match she'd ever seen.
2: Wow. Okay. Okay. So, um, actually, with, when it comes to your mom then what were the, what were her vibes on you getting into wrestling from from the from the off? Just to jump back a little bit.
1: Um. You know she. She knew that I was serious about it. She always said like, oh, probably for being, you know, wishful thinking, she's like, she'll grow out of it. She kept telling me, you're going to grow out of it. Um, but then she had no choice because I said, hey, I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to do it. And she thought I was crazy. And I'm pretty sure she still thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> but she was always very supportive of my decisions in, you know, becoming a wrestler and traveling the world and moving to Japan and all of that.
2: Okay, so are we going to go with the one that impressed your mom, Tiger Mask versus Dynamite Kid?
1: Yes. We're going to go with that one. That is historical and legendary, and it's just... It's such a good match. I mean, what can I say?
2: So, um, first time you watched this one, then, can you remember where you were when you first watched it?
1: I don't remember where I was, but I remember having heard about the match, and... You know, I figured, all right, well, I've got to go watch it now. And I looked it up and it was so different from the things that were being done at the time, because I would always love to watch older wrestling. Um, but it was so high paced and the transitions were so clean. I mean, it just looked like water flowing in the ring. It was completely incredible. I was blown away. Um, you know, I had read so many people say it was incredible. Best match ever, five stars. And then I watched it. I'm like, yeah, that's all correct. What they said.
2: <laughs> Everything about that is, <laughs> yeah. is absolutely spot on. Uh, so it was it was Eddie Guerrero under Tiger Mask at that point, if I remember correctly. It was Eddie, was it for that one?
1: No, no, no. That if it was Dynamite Kid and in, Madison Square Garden with Tiger Mask. It wasn't Eddie. It was the original Tiger Mask.
2: Ah, apologies. Yeah, you are right. You are right. It was that one. I'm I'm many, dec- I'm many years ahead for that one. but the, And again, in Madison Square Garden, for that one to go down, in Madison Square Garden, which is a hotbed, hotbed for sort of the, the WWF and the WWF style. So the, the crowd reaction to that is even more special because it's at a point where sort of they've got the, the, you know, the, the burgeoning, the, the, the embryonic sports entertainment style, and then just this, that just exp- that pops in the middle of it. It's it's something special. It really is. Um, with the other match that you were going to choose, because you know to go behind the curtain on this, um, the other one you were going to choose was a was a very different match. It was from WrestleMania twenty, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it would be Benoit versus Triple H versus Shawn Michaels.
2: So, what was leading you towards that match before we decided to go with? Uh, Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid.
1: You know that match. Obviously, if you're a Chris Benoit fan, is like the pinnacle of you know his career. He finally, you know, won gold WrestleMania. Had like you know the the boyhood dream comes true moment. And you know, the match itself was incredibly done. I thoroughly enjoyed it back when I saw it, and then obviously I've watched it back since a million times. And you know the, the match is great and then just like the emotion you know the emotion of him winning and then Eddie coming out and them having their moment in the ring it was just so beautiful and you know as a kid watching that I just I was like you know I, I hope one day I have my own moment like that too.
2: I remember staying up late to watch that. And yeah, you had proper tears in your eyes because they're like two of the top guys who 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 shouldn't have made it work. And again, it kind of, it draws those parallels with Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid in Madison Square Garden because we're in Madison Square Garden for this one. And it's two yeah. guys who shouldn't vibe with what WWE does, but here they are. And they're embracing in the main event of WrestleMania, holding two respective World Heavyweight Championships. And 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 that's that's a sign, if anything, of like of, of perseverance. And would that have been would that have been something you would have thought about, or was it more just a case of, oh, these I like Chris Benoit, this is cool?
1: Well, I'd always, you know, I through Chris Benoit, I discovered the dynamite kid. And obviously comparing their their work, it, it was kind of, you know, one one and the same almost. And like you said, the Dynamite, Dynamite of My Kid wrestled Tiger Mask in Madison Square Garden. And it's almost like the second generation of that because, you know, uh, Eddie wrestled as Black Tiger over there. Benoit was Pegasus, Kid, um, Wild Pegasus. And they were doing that same kind of style and they were very complimentary together. So it's almost like, almost like his, if they had wrestled in Madison Square Garden, it would have been like history repeating itself, sort of. But mm-hmm. them having the moment was close enough.
2: But uh, obviously what we know about Chris Benoit, we know now, and I know there'll be that there, there are people that aren't able to, to separate the man from, from the matches. Now, I don't know whether, have you had anybody in, in your, in your group, in your network of people in your, in your friend circle who are in that position where the, the, the Chris Benoit uh, incident occurred and they've not been able to watch his matches back since
1: definitely have had to have that conversation with people. You know, I don't think it is correct nor fair to say that oh, Benoit is like this cold-blooded killer because he's not. Uh, I mean, of course, what happened happened and there's no denying that, but we have to look at the reasons why mainly, you know, CTE, and then you can link everything else, the, 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 the pills, the alcohol, the depression, all of the things that went in to that terrible tragedy taking place can all be tied back to CTE, you know, and trying to explain that to people is one thing. And I've always been able to separate the person from the craft, not only in the case of Benoit, but just in general with professional wrestling and other things, and I just think it's unfair even if what took place did and it's tragic to take a man's life work and just completely erase it because he died for the sport essentially you know it what he loved killed him but he dedicated his life to it so I believe that his at least his work should live on if not the story of what happened unfortunately
2: We had um, we had Tyson Dukes on this show a few months back and Tyson played uh, Chris Benoit in the dark side of the ring documentary. And he's also a big fan of Chris Benoit. And, and we had a similar conversation and he, and he said sort of based on what you did in the sense that it, it, what happened was, 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 was unforgivable and, and dreadful, but there is this, you can't just, you can't throw away this body of work because of it. And I think I think as time has gone on, more and more people seem to come around to that idea of like getting to the point where we can watch those matches again, like WWE now on the Peacock Network. And it's only a tiny thing, but I noticed it the other day, like that on the network, like they are now on the Peacock Network. They're now referencing Chris Benoit more, whereas on the WWE Network, if there was a Chris Benoit match, it would just say like Chris Jericho competes in a singles match. Yeah, it wouldn't even write his name down. Well, I've
1: never been on Peacock, um, but I'm very happy to hear Mm. that they're finally referencing his name and they're, you know, giving credit where credit is due. Um, I mean, what can I say? If John Cena murdered his family, are we just going to forget everything that John Cena did? That's that's the only thing that I can say. I'm like, if you know, imagine if it was anybody else.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's true, and it's it's a it's a discussion I think we'll have many times over on this show. But uh, I appreciate um, you entertaining it because I thought it was you know you Chris Benoit is such and you can see it when you especially when you do uh, do do stuff in like CFU and we'll get to that in a bit. Like you can see that that influence there in what you do, and to, to go back to what you do because that's why we're here to talk about it. Uh, you just seen in two thousand and nineteen. Like to many people, and I know this isn't the case because it's a lifetime in the making. But you just seem to burst into existence. It seems like did they just all of a sudden, like you were there. You were, you were, you were popping up in so many wrestling promotions. Did you feel like it kind of when once you got the, the ball rolling in America? Did you feel like it just happened overnight?
1: Somewhat, yeah, because you know as as we were talking my career has in the beginning had not taken place much in the united states after my debut in japan it was just here and there working in 27 tw- uh, end of 2016 beginning of 2017 it was like you know, completely forgettable stuff that was done in the United States. We don't even remember it. I mean, I don't fucking remember it. <laughs> so whatever. Um, and then I left to Canada, and then you know, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, wrestling in Russia. I wrestled everywhere but the United States. And was that by design? It was. It was definitely by design because I had always wanted to travel the world, and you know, wrestling definitely helped me do that. So. I felt I was on a path too. I felt that I was almost following the footsteps of my heroes, because from wrestling to Japan to then extensively working in Canada and learning that style. I was like, you know, this is almost like Benoit and and Dynamite kid going over to the hearts and studying over there on their excursion like I had my own Canadian excursions where I learned so much that had changed me into the person I am today. Um, and then when I came back, I said, well, I've got to try in the States now. And that was just around April, the end of, middle of April, beginning of May of 2019. And from then until I left once again to go to Japan, um, that's when I pretty much burst on the scene and everybody thought I was new. Everyone's like, oh, you, you have, you just started. And I was like, no, I've actually been around, just not here
2: and it was just and to, to to touch on a bit of that time that you went before you landed in america because you mentioned you know you mentioned that you you wrestled in russia as well and just i wanted to get a little temperature check on sort of the the russian wrestling scene uh, as it stands i mean now you now you're you're a bit more focused around the united states do you still keep in touch with what's happening over there is there still is is it a thing that is the russian wrestling scene growing exponentially at the moment
1: Well, I wouldn't say exponentially. I wouldn't say we're having promotions sprouting up left and right. Mm. But the two promotions that we do have North Star Wrestling in St. Petersburg and um, IWF Moscow, which is obviously in Moscow, uh, which is where I wrestled, they're doing really well for themselves. They're they've been having live shows. And I've been keeping up with all of their work, you know, from the moment that I was there up until now. And I believe they've been progressing very well, especially um, Locomotive and Casey have been doing really well for themselves.
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: The following knockout bout is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, Masha Slamovich. Masha Slamovich. I don't know, Don.
0: I just don't know. What do you know, don't you know? I don't think that her last name is really Slamovich. Why would you say that? I think she made it up. I personally know a lot of Russians who have that last name. Slamovich. Yeah. Masha Slamovich.
1: Masha Slamovich making her AEW debut here tonight. She's going to have her hands full. Yes, she is. But I want to mention that she's a very talented young woman. She's worked with us extensively at Mission Pro Wrestling. And she's very, very young. She's like she comes from uh, Russia and she's worked in Japan for a long, long time. She just returned about seven or eight months ago, and she's been doing a lot of work in the independent scene. Well, you can see to your point, Rhodes, that the way she just how the way she walks around the ring, she has a certain poise and confidence, so I, I get what you're saying. Yes, she does, and I can tell you, I've been in the ring with her. We did a 25-minute match, and let me tell you, that was interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe
2: it. Your Impact Wrestling debut, did you get that, did I hear, with, like, a couple of hours notice? <sighs>
1: that, what, most TV opportunities I have come with like two <laughs> days, a couple of hours, the AEW notice. I got it like two days before.
2: Do you just always keep like a backpack by the door knowing oh, that like... My,
1: my suitcase doesn't get unpacked. It's like <laughs> I take out my shoes, kick pads and gear and I wash those. But like my merch, my makeup, my like extra things that I need to stay, they just don't ever leave my suitcase. So I am ready any moment of the day to just run out of the door and you know with impact i i was told like the day before to come the first night and just you know help set up what if there's a spot whatever and there was and that's how i ended up wrestling havoc and the second i did they didn't tell me that they wanted me back for the second day so at 4 30 on a friday I was almost ready to leave to my show, which was in New Jersey. And I get a call and they're like, hey, uh, your match is at 645. And I'm like, what match? <laughs> so I had to just book it. Thankfully, the Melrose Ballroom is 30 minutes from where I live. And I just ran in the building, got in gear and pretty much went out to the ring with uh, Jordan Grace.
2: <laughs> and Jordan's such a professional that, that you would have arrived in that time and used to would have put together something before you even had a chance to go out there.
1: Me and Jordan had like ten minutes to talk, but you know, if you watch the match back, clearly we did a good job uh, putting it together.
2: Was it a similar thing with your because with your AEW debut that was last week, I believe was that your first AEW appearance last week? It was two weeks ago. Yes, two weeks ago. Apologies. Yes, yeah, so it was you and Penelope Ford in Pittsburgh. Was that a similar sort of fly by the seam, fly by the seam of your pants type? Can you get to Pittsburgh? We've got a thing for you. Was that a similar story there?
1: Yes. Um, I remember emailing um, the week before and talking about like, hey, how close is Pittsburgh to you? But I figured like, hey, this is for future reference. And I was like, you know, close, close enough that I can get there. And I, I was on a loop the next weekend of four shows. So I wasn't really on my phone much. I was on the road busy. And I was training at Cheeseburgers, Cheeseburgers worldwide dojo on Monday night in Philadelphia and Bristol. And I open my phone and it says, Hey, we need you at 10 30 for AW in Pittsburgh on Wednesday. And I'm like, I'm not even going to be in New York tonight. So it was a mad dash the next morning, you know, work out, go back to New York, get ready. And the night, um, the night before we had to drive out to, to Pittsburgh uh, in a mad dash, but we got there.
2: I think that it's a testament to that work ethic. And a lot of people who want to get on will, will, will hear this. And it's a reminder of, look, if you want the opportunities, they're there and you can't go, no excuses. If they ring you and say, can you be here for Wednesday? Like I've, I've, I've had that before with, with my career in broadcasting, where they say, are you able to cover a show at the top of the country tomorrow afternoon? I go, yeah, no problem. See ya, click, right, how do I get there? Like that you've worry about that after (laughs) Like you just go, yeah, I'll say yes. And then I'll, I'll figure all the, I'll figure all the itinerary out afterwards. We'll figure it out. And that's what it is, isn't it? When, when opportunities like that come, you just, you can't make excuses and you just have to go. A
1: hundred percent. You know, I, I say this at least once a week, if there's a will, there is a way. And that's just been my belief from the second I started wrestling, you know, Johnny would always tell us, you know, you have to be ready, your bag has to be packed and ready to go at all times don't ever show up anywhere without your gear bag. So, you know, I was always taught to just stay ready and stay prepared because you never know when the opportunity is going to come. And, you know, as you see, it's just been a, it's just been a thing in my career where all of the most important matchups that I end up having are always last minute, they shouldn't even go as well as they do. And I pride myself in just being one of those people who says, "If there's a will, there's a way," and I'm going to make it happen no matter what.
2: For someone like yourself, who is who is always on the go, ready to go whenever, um, how did you get on last year when everything stopped?
1: So uh, I was lucky enough to be over in Japan um, during that time. Which, of course, when I found out that you know Gaia show was getting pushed back an entire year. I was very upset, you know, like our shows were getting canceled. I was supposed to debut with like Sendai have more marvelous shows. I, I was heartbroken um, and I was very frustrated because at the beginning, you know, I wasn't taking this seriously. I was like, oh, you know, it's just a flu. Why are we shutting down over it? I'm like, this is stupid.
2: We all thought we'd be back to it by like June, didn't we?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, come on. We're like canceling shows over some people having bacteria. What the fuck? Like, you know, Um and I just, I knew I had to fight. I I was not ready to give up because I know what it's like to have wrestling taken away from me. And it's, I wasn't ready to lose any more time in my career than I already had. So I said, absolutely not. I'm still going to fight. I'm going to fight to the last breath with this, you know, to be able to wrestle no matter what the world situation is. And we ended up being shut down straight up for like about a month. Um, and when I say shut down, I mean, no shows. Cause we were still going out like to like Japan wasn't like shut down like America was. So I was lucky enough to have the gym in my dojo, you know, full squat rack, all of this and the ring. So I threw myself headfirst into studying and getting stronger, better aesthetics. I was like, I'm going to make my wrestling better. I'm going to train every day. And Soon after, we started doing dojo tapings um, and streaming them as shows, which, you know, was the first step. And it made me very happy that I was back to work, even though there were no fans. Um, And then by July 6th, we were back in front of a live audience. And ever since then, we were just wrestling in front of people. So I was very, very lucky to be one of probably the only person who was still working you know an american wrestler who kept working during 2020
2: so you didn't get a chance to do many of those now infamous empty arena shows then if the crowds were back pretty quick for for marvelous and such were they we
1: did like three mm. or four um tapings and then immediately we went back to show, to um to live shows How and then we did have one taping in between shows but then it was like the only one we did <laughs>
2: How was how was that as an experience to go, you know, because it it must go against so much of the the energy for wrestling to not to to be doing it and and hearing hearing the spots being called, hearing the commentators move on this side of the room, the echoing around the room. That must be a, a surreal experience to kind of figure out in your head.
1: It was so weird at first, you know, because again, like I can hear myself breathing and stuff and I'm just like, Oh, okay. Well, everybody can hear every little thing. And, you know, you're used to having the crowds all like clapping and stuff for you. And then I just have like my young girls around the ring and just my boss being like, you know, there's like five people in there. (laughs) So it was, it was definitely took some adjusting and to learn how to work a little bit differently. Um, to adjust to the style of studio tapings.
2: Now things are are, are back to whatever normal looks like. Um, What are your goals going into next year? You you know, you're making so much ground up at the moment. What would you love to see happen in 2022?
1: I, as per usual, have, you know, many directions that I want to go in. you know, there's so many places that I haven't wrestled yet. Australia, England, Mexico, Germany, all of that. You know, of course, I want to go back to Japan, but there's also so much for me to do here. I think I think the United States is definitely going to be seeing a whole lot of me, um, you know, through the end of this year and in, into the next year as well. I can't really say what's to come in the future, because if you would have told me last year, While I was sitting in the dojo that a year from now I'd be wrestling on the main event of the NWA show and debuting on AEW. I would have told you you're nuts, but here we are, so I I can't even imagine where I'm going to be a year from now.
2: Oh, we've, got, we've got one more match for your DVD that we need to pick. But I like to throw this on people just before we get to the end. It's nothing bad, I promise. Uh, whereby um, I ask you to pick, when I, I ask you to pick to take with you as well to the desert island, uh, a movie, an album, and a luxury item. So like a luxury item, meaning something that's got some sentimental value, uh, something that may be quite personal to you. Maybe you can be a little bit of technology that you'd like to use while you're there. Something that just has something that a bit of a creature comfort for you. So if I was to say to you, Basha, you can take a movie with you. What movie comes to mind initially?
1: Point Break, 1991.
2: Brilliant. Straight in there. Why why, why
1: Point Break? My favorite movie. I love it. I've watched it a million times. The only other movie that goes head to head with it is uh, The Great Gatsby. For me, and my two favorite movies. So if I had to pick one point break, you know why? Because I'm on an island and I can build a surfboard. <laughs>
2: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, how about an album? What album would you take?
1: And that's a tough one because I really like so many albums, but. Oh, Lordy, I'm trying to think of the ones that I that I play the most. But I mean, my musical taste is all over the place. I'm very inclined to go with like a Kiss or Metallica album, though. It would be one of the two, maybe ACDC, but probably Kiss. Kiss is like my OG.
2: Deep into a workout, um, Masha, on a morning, what would you be playing?
1: So my my morning workouts include a whole bunch of cardio because I do um, cardio every morning. And I'm not even going to lie, but my music taste in the morning is very different from my music taste later on in the day. You know, you catch me weightlifting, we're, we're having Slayer and Pantera, and it's just headbanging, and heavy lifting. But when I'm running in the morning, I have a whole playlist of Japanese music that I was listening to with the girls at Marvelous, and it's just like J-pop all morning.
2: Nice um uh, another example then for music um you've got the call you need to be in AEW. you need you need to be in a stadium for aw dark in four hours you've left you've got in the taxi you're on your way to the airport you put your headphones on what are you listening to to get you in the zone for what is about to come
1: rain and blood by slayer
2: nice someone's getting their head kicked in at a few hours time that's nice and how about your luxury item what would that be Mm.
1: is an entire weightlifting set or like a small gym a luxury item i think that'll do
2: i think i think we can take a, a small a small gymnasium that you can use a sort of mini version of the rocks iron paradise i think is more than Yeah, more I'm than just acceptable. Have my
1: own muscle beach gym over there.
2: <laughs> is it is it a case of as like you say you work out every single morning? Is that um, what time would you get up to start working out? What would be a normal workout morning for for Masha Slamovich?
1: Uh, seven seven thirty. I'd like to get started uh, and just go like thirty to forty minutes. Um, I'll go. I'll just either run or I'll do like a CrossFit circuit or I'll do the bike, you know, there's, I have a couple of different things to keep me from getting bored.
2: Nice. Nice. Yeah. You can take some weightlifting stuff. I'd have thought, I, I think that's fine. So your third and final match then let's see. So we've got, um, Kabashi Masawa from 1999. Um, we're going we to, are we going to go with Tiger mask
1: versus dynamite kid from Madison square garden?
2: Are we going to go yeah. with that one? Yeah, let's
1: go with that one. Even though the other, we still got to just put the WrestleMania 20 as honorable mention. Well, I
2: tell you what, we can slip that in as an honorable mention. We can put it on the B side. We'll put that in there as well, because it is a banger of a match. Um, And so what would your third one be, your official third match? What's that going to be?
1: So this one, I got shown this. I don't remember who showed me this. It was last year when I was like, I had a tag match and I messaged somebody and I was like, man, I need something to study to prepare for this tag match. And they showed me, I believe it was from Ice Ribbon, it was Best Friends versus Avid Rivals. And I'm obsessed with this tag match. You know, I've on multiple occasions when tagging, watched it and like used it to get ideas for like structures and this, that, and the next. And it's just so good. I mean, it's very um, like unknown. I've not met many people who just like off the top of their head know it. So everybody needs to go watch that match. (laughs)
2: So talk us through the, the, the competitors in this match. So best friends and avid rivals. So is this the AEW best friends or is this a different best? It's, been, it's ice ribbon, so of course it's a different best friends.
1: Yeah, they're definitely different. I'm trying yeah,
2: to... I was going to say, if they turned out, that'd be strange.
1: It's Ryo Mizunami. And I'm, I'm looking at the match right now because I can't remember who wrestled in it. Well, thanks. Thanks for not listing the names. Um, I, I know it's like Arisa Nakajima's in it. Ryo Mizunami and whoever is um, partnering with them. Uh, unfortunately, I'm really bad with names. No, so, that's yeah, okay. You know.
2: That's okay.
1: But the match is just so interesting and it's dynamic. I mean, it gives you everything you want to see. It gives you excitement, skill, all of it. It's it's so cool.
2: Is there one particular bit from that match that that jumps to the front of your mind when you when you mention it?
1: Just like. The psychology of it and the way they tell the story and the fact that they tell such a good story, but it's done quite differently than, you know, a regular match than you would see it there. It's it's very exciting.
2: Nice. OK. And it's an ice ribbon match, you say. So if people can, find, is it available online anywhere? It's on I that's yeah. oh, youtube oh brilliant even better even better
1: yeah if you just look up best friends versus avid rivals it's the first thing that comes up
2: ice ribbon's a lot of fun isn't it like there's there we we had um uh formerly from ice ribbon bette noir on this show and she talked about her time in ice ribbon and it just sounds like uh, re- wrestling is wrestling is the best when it's when it's in very serious when it can be very serious and when it can be very silly And Ice Ribbon seems to walk that line quite nicely where it can have a lot of fun with the format, can't it?
1: Yes, Ice Ribbon is definitely um, a promotion that will take their wrestling in every possible direction.
2: Before we let you go, we got to talk about Boss at the Beach. September 19th, St. Paddy's Beach in Westerly, Rhode Island. So you're
1: putting a show on indeed it is going to be masha's borscht at the beach and guess what we're having bears too because bear country (laughs) just got announced so we're having beach borscht and bears beach borsche and
2: bears When when did you decide to to throw your hat into to putting this show on to promoting a show
1: you know i'm gonna be honest with you we were standing right before me um i was getting ready and beyond to go wrestle diana perazzo a couple months ago i believe this was in june and I just, you know, um, Drew Cordero is walking past me. And I'm like, Drew, I have an idea. Borscht at the beach, let's do it. And that was enough to sell the idea. So <laughs> here we are. We're doing Beyond and WWR Plus as a double header on September 19th at Patty's Beach. Masha's Borscht at the beach. Come have some soup and watch some bears wrestle and then watch me wrestle.
2: <laughs> the best ideas start with a pun and work backwards. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. not I? even
1: a pun. I literally have borscht at the beach. This is the thing. <laughs> like, it came from reality because my family would always go to the beach in Long Island and we would bring Russian food and we would drink and eat borscht at the beach. And I still do that to this day when I go to, like, Brighton Beach. And I thought, man, this is great. Why is this not a show name?
2: <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, is somebody going to get covered in borscht? But borscht is very hot. I don't know whether that's a good idea. <laughs>
1: Well, you're you all just gonna have to tune in or come in person to find <laughs> out what's Borshin over there. <laughs> <laughs> what's Borshin,
2: Masha? What's Borshin? Uh, where can people watch Borshin at the beach?
1: So if you can't make it to Patty's Beach in Rhode Island live on September 19th, you can watch it live streaming on IWTV.
2: Throw some links at us, Masha. Let's 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 sell some merch and let's get people on your on your socials.
1: Hell yeah. Well, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram and my Facebook page. Everything is under Masha Slamovich. And I also have a Pro Wrestling Tees website. Of course, that's also under Masha Slamovich. Um, But for all of the behind the scenes and upcoming events, all of this stuff, follow me or subscribe to my Patreon, which is also Masha Slamovich.
2: Can you end for us on a... a, a an optimistic uh, quote in Russian.
1: <laughs> you know, there we go. When somebody sneezes and then we say, bless you, our answer is, well, I hope you don't die. Um, <laughs> <so
2: there's> That's <laughs> I hope you don't die.
1: <laughs> I certainly hope so too. <laughs>
2: My thanks to Masha Slamovich for joining me on Cultaholic Island. Support Borscht at the Beach at IWTV. And if you liked what you heard, check out 100 plus more conversations like this by searching on Spotify for Desert Island Graps.